The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. But she didn't come home last night. She's worried about him. Oh, sure. Probably jilted her. That's the story of her life. What kind of a f***ing chance did she have with you as her mother? You're always nagging her about her weight. She goes out on a date, she comes home, you call her a f***ing tramp. I'm on the way out in the car. I never said anything of the kind. I heard you. You make things up. I wasn't always perfect, but I always tried to do the best I could. I gave my life to my children on a silver platter. I suppose now you're not going to kiss me. What? You're cruel. That's what you are. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, April 26th, 2018. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Paul McKeever. And this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Well, if you've never heard of her before, that's a good thing, I suppose. But unfortunately, a person named Nora Laredo has pushed herself into the public arena over the Humboldt Broncos tragic traffic accident that happened a few weeks ago. And we're not talking about the accident, but about the aftermath and the commentaries that followed that accident. A tempest in a teapot or a much bigger and significant issue than what first meets the eye? We'll take a look at that question and its implications right after we take this moment to remind one and all that they can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, subscribe to Just Right on iTunes and on SoundCloud, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right social media links, including Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and of course, all of our archived broadcasts. Well, Paul, you want to give us your overview on what's going on with this whole controversy? Right. Uh, 16 people, at least at last count I saw, most of them young male players of the Humboldt Broncos hockey team, died after a collision on April 6th between the team's bus and a tractor trailer in rural Saskatchewan. Now, Nora Loretto, or Loretto, is a radical left-wing writer who has contributed to such publications as The Globe and Mail, Maclean's, and some collectivist rag named The Walrus. Now, two days after the accident, on April 8th, Loretto tweeted that, quote, I'm trying not to get cynical about what is a totally devastating tragedy, but the maleness, the youthfulness, and the whiteness of the victims are, of course, playing a significant role. Unquote. And she later qualified her tweet by adding, quote, I don't want less for the family and survivors of this tragedy. I want justice and more for so many other grieving parents and communities, unquote. Right, social justice, right? Yeah, well, she's kind of saying, <laughs> and I think to be fair to her, not so much that she wants less for what she def- identifies as male, youthful, white people, but for other people too, okay? But the thing about this, of course, is she's seeing maleness, youthfulness, and whiteness as some sort of collective, and she's talking about other collectives getting equal outpourings of of support in the future. That's Mm -hmm. what she would like to see. 
Now, Loretto's tweets led, though, to thousands of comments, the vast majority of them angry. People were very upset, and understandably so, because this person, Loretto, had taken it upon herself to turn it from an apolitical tragedy to a politicized identity politics opportunity. But there's a few other aspects of this I think we really need to talk about today. Yeah, don't you think that it was her intention to politicize the event? Isn't that her whole raison d'etre? Oh, I think so. And I think others have said she was trying to put herself into the story, become become the story, which of course is, you know, for a real journalist, a no-no. But, you know, we're in the age of social media. And this is a person who's not only someone who wants to be a journalist, but apparently an activist. So those two things don't really go together very well. They always tend to make a, a, a journalist into a dishonest person, in my experience. But anyway. <laughs> well, that might speak to a greater topic that we want to get into later in the show, because really aren't all journalists and newspapers activists of some sort? Of course, columnists have to do their columns and their columnists' duties. But, you know, I, there's very little in, in the way of re- reportage anymore that is not accompanied by editorial and that, you know, that, that sense of someone imposing a judgment call on the news. You know, speaking of which, speaking of horrible racists, uh, you know, it's hard not to capture, but it's important to notice and, and, to, and to focus on the fact that in calling out society as Loretto has, implicitly saying that it's only because of racism and misogyny that uh, people were willing to give so many millions of dollars for these uh, hockey players, but we don't see the same kind of outpouring of cash when it's someone who isn't a white male. I think that's what her point was. But if we took as a fact, not that society is racist, but let's just say that she could line up some statistics, okay? And she showed that there were other bus accidents, perhaps involving people with darker complexions who are female and who are older. She said something, you know, about being white, young, and male. So let's male. take it as, as you know, dark-skinned, um, older, and female. Okay. And the same number of people die in a bus accident. I'm not at all convinced that if that Humboldt tragedy involved a bunch of soccer moms, for example, so described, that there wouldn't have been the exact same kind of outpouring. I think there would have been. I think of it course. doesn't matter the color of anyone's skin, whether they're male or female, whether they're young or old. You get that many people in a tragic accident like that when none of them are guilty of anything, and people are going to open their wallets. But But let's just think about what it would mean, though, okay? So let's assume that she can prove that there is some statistical difference, whatever the cause. So what? Let's put this aside just for a second. Is she, by making that observation, is she putting herself in a position to make society better, to get rid of that racism? I mean, think about what she's doing. She's essentially asserting that society is racist, but to do that, she has to accept the false premise that underlies racism, which is that if it's possible to label some humans a race on the basis of their physical appearance, it's somehow appropriate or useful to do so. I mean, she's accepting that. Right? Otherwise, she wouldn't. She would reject altogether the very concept that makes racism possible. She wouldn't be saying, "Oh, well, she, she's a, she's a collectivist. She she's on the left. She thinks in group terms. So every person is a member of a prescribed group in her mind. And you can see that in everything she says, how she says it, why she says it, and her history speaks to this implicitly. And that's why racism is a quality of the left." It cannot be a quality of individualism that those two things don't go together. Right, right. And, and, and why are they doing this, right? Why do they feel so inclined to break everybody up into these groups de- defined by 
physical appearances, which is all it really is. Or mm-hmm. maleness, femaleness, if you want to call it that. But uh, there's because she also mentioned sex. But why do they want to do this? Well, they want to make generalizations, right? They want to say, oh, if you have these physical characteristics and you're male, then this is what's true about you. Because it's true about most, or it's true about some, or it's true about all. You see what I'm saying? They want to be mm-hmm. able to make generalizations based on physical appearances. Like, you know, well, you're a male, white, young person, so was Jesse James, therefore, you must be a, a, a bank robber or someone who robs, uh, you know, carriages. And I, I'm reminded of that Ayn Rand uh, bit. She, she was asked about the show Roots. Do you remember the show Roots, Bob, in the 70s? Yes, I do. And it was all... It was I watched it. It was very enjoy- enjoyable. LeVar Burton became famous because of that movie, didn't he? That's right. And it was, went on to play Geordie in Next Generation. That's right. And I, and I think it was probably America's first glimpse at the ugliness of racism. Although I, don't, I was too young to remember it now. But I do remember her, her uh, discussing it. And she said she thought it was uh, a very good movie. She hadn't read the book yet. But she understood that the book was something had a different purpose. And that the purpose of the book was to say... Um, here I am the author, and this is in part a history of my family going back so many generations. And, um, and one of the main her- uh, heroes in the book, um, I can't remember if it was Kinta Kunte or who, what would the name of the, the main hero was. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, um, he said, he's my you know, great-great-great-grandfather, what have you. Therefore, the implication is I've got something to be um, proud of you know, as though it's my accomplishment. What his accomplishments were are somehow my accomplishments merely because we share blood or we share um, uh, physical appearance. And the only the only criticism she had negative about the about the movie was, or about the book, I suppose, is what she was really focusing on. And she said, "Look, you can't do this. You can't say, oh, my great great grandfather was a, the king of England, and therefore.'" Uh, I'm royalty, or I'm a, I'm a very uh, well. You might be royalty, but I mean, quite apart from that, you might be saying that you're you're great, or that you're superior, or you're of noble blood, or one of these things. She says, "How can people who do this never point out that in their past there was also some rapist or murderer or what have you? They never say, oh, therefore I'm as bad as the, <laughs> the great great grandfather, or what have you? You know, you can't generalize right. from this from the individual." Or from the rather from the collective to the individual, you can only judge each individual on its own, on his his or her own merits. You can't say, you know, all white quote unquote people are like this, or all quote unquote black people are like that. And she's buying into it by saying, "I wish people, you know, open their wallets when it's a black tragedy or an Asian tragedy or what have you." I'm not sure what label she uses for each of her collectors, yeah. but I'm assuming those are the ones. And I really think that you know. It's hypocrisy in the in the in the utmost for a person to say, "Look at the racism of society," because they're not equally opening their wallets to all groups. It's just, it's off. It, it, you know, I don't know if she's stupid that she can't see it, or if it's the case that she just chooses not to because it serves her purpose, which is to divide society, to make these so-called groups that she's manufactured into infighting people who seem to want to be able to say that therefore, because one group's got more of something than something else, some other group rather, and because some other group has less of something than some other group, therefore injustice must have been the reason for the differences and therefore force must be used. Government must intervene. We must make a law if only there were a hammer. You know, and if only there were a bigger tax on the have group and 
and uh, more more benefits for the have-not group, etc. If there were only more power given to the have, uh, to the people who don't have it and less power given to the people who do, all based on the color of their skin, I I can't understand why she thinks she's in any way anti-racist. She is serving racism to the utmost degree. She's the very definition of it. I'm going to tell you about a tweet on Twitter about the horrific highway crash that killed 16 people on the Humboldt Broncos hockey team last week. It's from a left-wing activist journalist named Nora Lurito. Again, Twitter is full of people from the best to the worst. She's the worst. She said this. She posted a picture of the GoFundMe page and said, this is a lot of money, which is true, you know. And you could leave it at that. Or you could even chip in a bit yourself, or you could stop being weird and voyeuristic about it. But yeah, it's a lot of money. That represents Canadians trying to do some tangible thing to help those hurting the most. But yeah, it's a lot of money. But then she wrote this. I'm trying not to get cynical about what is a totally devastating tragedy, but the maleness, the youthfulness, and the whiteness of the victims are, of course, playing a significant role. I'm sorry, pardon, pardon me, say what? The bodies were not yet buried yet. The families were, were crying. The, the community was agonizing. And this weirdo wants to turn it into a feminist racialist moment? She's angry that people are so generous, and she thinks it's not because of the horrific tragedy, but rather an expression of racism and sexism. Is that what you see when you look at this? You don't see pain of humans, just people, Canadians. You immediately put those people, those human beings, those Canadians, into little boxes. This race or that, this sex or that. Is that what you do? It's a hockey team. So of course it's gonna be young. It's a men's hockey team, so of course it's gonna be male. And she's wrong, by the way. There were Aboriginal members of the team, and I mentioned there was a young woman killed too. Does that make her feel better? Does she want gender and race quotas in this tragedy? She's so obsessed with that. What a freak, what a monster. Look at the bottom of her tweet. The number on the right is the people who like the tweet, just over 400 fellow creeps. The number in the middle is people who retweeted it, that is, republished it to their own followers, just over 150. But look at the number on the left. More than 4,000 people replied to her tweet, overwhelmingly calling her out, not just for being racist and sexist and creepy, but just for being so cruel. You'd think that's when someone would say, sorry, or even sorry too soon, or even I believe what I said, but I was inconsiderate. No, no, no. She's digging in. Not just digging in, she's turned herself into the real victim of the Humboldt tragedy. This was actually the big breakthrough she needed. She wanted attention, that's what she was after. Oh, and she got it. She wasn't about to be contrite and back down and apologize or even just shut up. She had succeeded in becoming relevant to a big cultural moment in Canada. She managed to put herself in the story about the Humboldt Broncos as a victim. She was finally a somebody, even if she had to crawl over dead bodies to do it. Well, Bob, let it never be said that Ezra Levant can't get to the pith and substance of a of an issue. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that's for sure. He 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 didn't pull any punches on that one, and I have to agree with him. Frankly, that's uh, truly what she was doing is crawling over dead bodies to make herself the center of the of the story. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I said earlier, what if she were able to prove that it was true, that people open their wallets more for one group than for another, and I don't think she can. But it's clearly false if she were to generalize that more and say that they don't show support for people who aren't male and white and young. I think those, those are the three characteristics she gave to that one collective she manufactured. It's clearly false, Bob. I mean, people show far more support, even where there's no loss of life. And most of the victims are female. Think of it. In recent months, years even, we've had the Me Too movement. We're living at a time when with no due process, no hearing, no rules of evidence, you know, the social support for condemning a person, for silencing them, for getting them fired, etc., is so vocal and so strong that justice is out the window. Uh, media organizations and other employers, you know, they're fearing boycotts, they're fearing drops in patronage, they're fearing revenue losses, they're even fearing bankruptcy. And, you know, the media's not doing so well to begin with. So right. they're now routinely throwing justice under the bus to pander to social media mobs. There's literally a ton of support uh, for alleged victims of everything from, you know, quote-unquote unwelcome commentary to, quote, alleged sexual misconduct, whatever that is. It's quite broad, of course, deliberately so, deliberately vague. And there's also support for alleged sexism such as um, you know, against it, when when a movie company pays an actor like Mark Wahlberg, one point five million dollars to do reshoots of movie scenes, uh, while an actress in the same movie, uh, which is called All the Money in the World, the actress was Michelle Williams, doesn't get paid to do the reshoots. Now that movie <laughs> was reshot, incidentally, because of public support against Kevin Spacey, the actor who was originally shot in the movie. Um, and he was alleged to have engaged in sexual misconduct with someone in the past. They they took uh, Spacey's scenes out of the movie as a result of public support for the Me Too movement. And the public was expected to ignore that other males involved in the reshoot didn't get paid either. (laughs) They, they, They were expected to ignore that Wahlberg got paid because unlike others involved in the shoot, Wahlberg's contract had said that he would not do reshoots. Indeed, that... 1.5 1.5 yeah, million yeah. was donated to the sexual misconduct defense initiative called Times Up, which is sort of... The oh, counter- you're kidding. No, I, so, so, you can so. see. T- it's absolutely astonishing to, to make the claim that, you know, society is racist and sexist when clearly men and women alike are coming, you know, they're responding to even the slightest allegation. Well, don't we already know that anyone who makes the claim that there's racism and sexism to begin with they already know that's not the case, and it's part of their agenda to make it so for other objectives, which are all like left-wing socialism, redistribute the wealth, redistribute the justice, redistribute everything, Yeah. right? Yeah. And you can see it when it's in the psyche of people all around you and the media starts taking the lead. That's, that's part of the scary part of this, too. Um, usually someone like this Nora Laredo would have never even gotten a blink from anybody or anybody's attention, except for the fact that she's not alone in the way she thinks. Don't you think that's the real issue oh, here? Certainly there's a critical mass, and I think you're right. There's, a, there's almost a knee-jerk... I, I think they've practiced this, this script so well and and so long for so long that they know exactly almost on cue like a like a dog to a bone you know start drooling now this is when we're supposed to say ah you know the patriarchy uh oh look at all the maleness look at all the whiteness it's the uh, and the other thing is you know they've also learned not to 
use the correct terms for things, to disguise something that's innocent as something that's not, you know, to give it an ominous sounding name. And I'll give you an example. I, this term I keep seeing, white supremacy. Now, when I was a kid, white supremacy essentially meant, you know, idiots wearing these uh, pointy hats or walking around with swastikas or the Nazis themselves. These were the white supremacists. I didn't ever see any actually on the street where I lived. I always assumed they were in the deep south because that's what all the right. movies told us, you know. But now we're led to believe, and I, I think this is what they mean. When they use the word white supremacy now, they're using it as a synonym for individual freedom. Literally. Uh, everything that's sort of Western. So in other You're words... You're absolutely right. The white supremacy, the whole white, anti-white thing is all about Western values. Because Western values, as individualism, as freedom and capitalism, are all things that are on the right. And so clearly the left is opposed to those things. And since they can't be opposed to them on any rational basis... Right. Y- you can't. There's no way to be rationally opposed to what is so obviously good for humanity. You have to be irrational. Right. And that right. defines the left. And I don't, you know... Well, and it's quite calculated. I mean, I, you know, not to, not to defend someone who's, t- who's made a horrible decision to run for the wrong party, but I'm going to do it anyway. Uh, oh, and, Andrew Lawton, he's a <laughs> guest of, of Just Right. Now, he's running for the progressive conservatives, and, you know, he can live with that for the rest of his life. But my point is... Because he was appointed by the PCs to to run in uh, one of the London ridings, he now is getting the left-wing treatment on Twitter. So someone from, I think it's uh, an online um, newspaper of some kind, Mm left-wing, I think, has said, uh, Goldsby was the guy's name. Now somebody's got to go and look at all of the archive from Rebel Media uh, that involves posts done by Andrew Lawton. So they're, they're jumping like piranha on that archive. And there's already probably, you know, just within minutes of that guy posting that, there were probably 20 retweets or, or comments to the effect of, you know, Andrew, and I disagree with all this entirely, as, as you know, but accusing Andrew of the very things that so many other people are being falsely accused of, racism, uh, Islamophobia. Yep. Um, uh, well, know. that was all inevitable. I think Andrew might have been prepared for it, though. Well, I hope so. You, um, you would think. Yeah, he's a media guy, right? In any event... The, the first knee-jerk instinct is to say, aha, first of all, we'll associate him with The Rebel, which is a media organization that had some trouble last year because one of its staff went to that Charlottesville, Virginia yeah. uh, march, and she got, she was, I don't know what her story was, and she got turfed off the Rebel media, but that didn't stop, you know, the left from saying, aha, you see, this is what The Rebel looks for in, in staff or in reporters, and so naturally they're going to try and tag uh, Andrew Lawton with paint him with that brush, but you're right. It's it's sort of a script. Um, the left knows how to play it, and they and they're coordinated in the sense that it's just a, a a pile on really. Repeat it until people believe it. It doesn't have to be done particularly well. It doesn't have to have any research associated with it. It just has to have sort of a well, much like the Me Too movement. A lot of people on social media saying, "Yeah, Me Too. I think he's a such and such. I think he's a what he did such and such." And that's all that matters. Everyone just says, well, if the public believes it, then who's, there's no defeating it, you know? It's the supremacy of consciousness over, over reality, <laughs> you know? If you will it, it's true. If you imagine it in enough numbers, then it might as well be true because you're never going to be able to deal with reality. Uh, you'll only be left dealing with the um, distorted views of, of the most of the public, so... 
Well, coming up next, we're going to be hearing a conversation that includes Michael Corrin and a woman named Brittany Andrew Amofa, who's of the Broadbent Institute, as they were heard on CBC News Network on April 16th of this year. And coming back on the other side of the bumper, we'll also hear from the rebel, David Menzies, in conversation with Ezra Levant over this whole issue with Nora Laredo. The, the, the notion of, of free speech, and this is something else that has to be said, you know, the, both left and right can be oppressive and rude and abusive and vulgar. Anyone who thinks it's only the right or only the left doesn't understand social media and the nature of, of politics. But some of those people who have been attacking this tweet and other uh, similar situations are the first to say that their free speech I- is being limited. Uh, for example, the Jordan Peterson issue. Here was someone who he's got millions of people now around him who says a champion of free speech. Well, I'm not saying that he's the issue here, but does free speech apply to all people? Mm. One tweet would not have hurt anyone, really, and I can't imagine many people in Humboldt were even aware of this. But it was made a public issue and a major issue and an international issue, but all the reaction to it. And, and can I just say, when, just to circle back to the free speech conversation, it's very clear. Free speech defenders are only interested in defending white nationalism, um, defending white supremacy within this country, and defending those who, are, who don't want um, new immigrants, let's say, or racialized people within their borders. So we always come back to this conversation when we ask, where are the free speech defenders when it comes to racialized communities who speak out against injustice? How come they aren't coming to our defense? If we look at it time and time again, free speech defenders are only really interested in so. white nationalist um, conversations. Yes, it was it was a poorly timed tweet, but no one in their right mind deserves to, to seek violent death threats, and this should not be playing out on social media. And when it comes to McLean's, it's quite interesting because they're casting subjective punishment um, depending on who you are as an individual. They have many individuals on their roster, whether they're staff writers or whether they're freelancers, who say wildly inappropriate things all the time. So how is it that this one particular person faces this mm-hmm. particular punishment and receives this statement while others don't. How so they not punishing him? Exactly. So I think no, there needs to be greater trans. Well, well, they well in terms of issuing the statement and slandering her, she 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 got slandered through this statement, which is going to follow her for the rest of her life. But I'm just saying that there needs to be some standards set across the board. I would like to see greater transparency from news outlets and from just publishing agencies in general in regards to what is what is okay and what is not okay. Lately, she's now painting herself as the victim. Look at this Loretto tweet from Wednesday, quote, one, thanks to everyone for the support. I have so much yo say about the far right manufacturers hate online. And all I can say is, wow, no one deserves this, even if what day something do respectful, which BTW, I didn't even. Wow, on two levels. First, that she has the audacity to paint herself as a victim due to her own grotesque comments. And secondly, given that she so frequently violates the rules inherent to grammar, spelling, and syntax, this person is a professional writer? Meanwhile, the media party is going to bat for this ghoul. In a statement issued by the taxpayer-subsidized McLean's magazine, the periodical states that it does not wish to, quote, 
feed into the torrent of abuse Ms. Loretto has been subjected to since publishing her tweet, end quote. Well, to quote Loretto herself, <laughs> wow. Joining me now with more on this nauseating sidebar to the Humboldt tragedy is Ezra Levant. So Ezra, are we now supposed to believe that it is Nora Loretto who is the victim as opposed to the 16 who perished in that horrific accident? I mean, the first question I was asking myself is, why am I even talking about this crank? First of all, she was a star writer for McLean's, The Globe and Mail, uh, The Walrus, CBC. So yes. she was a fixture. Uh, she wasn't on staff, but she would get op-eds placed with all these mainstream media outlets. So the first thing is she's not just some nobody. The second thing is how the media has either been silent or a little bit supportive of her. I, I see a bunch of journalists on Twitter saying, oh, how dare McLean's try and distance himself? Because McLean said, oh, she's been subject to abuse, but by the way, she was never on staff here. She was just an op-ed writer. Right. And all these journalists are coming to her defense, and that's actually the grosser thing. Yeah. My point is, what she said, the anti-white racism, the anti-male chauvinism, that political correct postmodernist Marxism, the mainstream media 100% agrees with that, David. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. It is thanks to our financial supporters that it is possible for us to continue on our journey in the right direction and to share our programming with the world. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash justrightmedia or visit www.justrightmedia.org to offer your financial support. And while you're there, be sure to sample our archive broadcasts of all things just right about freedom and capitalism. And Paul, we just heard some commentaries on the far side of the bumper by Michael Korn, Brittany, Andrew Amofa, and on this side by Ezra Levant and David Menzies. I just wanted to comment on some of the things we heard. Yeah. And you tell me if you agree with me or not. Okay. But, you know, Michael Korn, both you and I, we've, we've known Korn for a long time, okay? Oh, yeah, since 99, I think. Yeah, and we've both been guests on his show, and we've always identified him as a guy on the left when most of our compatriots were thinking of him as somebody on the right. Yeah. Oh, well, to be fair, he's been a bit of a chameleon. True, yeah. but then so have quote-unquote right-wingers. Yeah, that's true <laughs> too. Yeah. But anyway, he's talked about this thing called the notion of free speech, and he talks about how both left and right can be abusive and oppressive and vulgar. Then he said, uh, some attacking this tweet are the first to say their free speech has been limited, like Jordan Peterson. Oh, well, God. Jordan Peterson did have his free speech limited. Yes. These people have not. And you, you know what I see them doing here? They are equating Jordan Peterson's limitation of free speech with their free speech being criticized in an open forum of other people exercising their free speech. That's exactly right. They, the only speech they want to be free is a speech that says the ideas they want to hear. And this spoke to a point you were talking about earlier in, in terms of motivation and why people think collectively. Why do they think in a group? Because it's a way of avoiding judgment. Oh, absolutely. One of the, and, of course, attacking a tweet is free speech. It's not an, a, an act of violence, you know. And then Corin asked this question, does free speech apply to all people? That's and one of, his, one of his co-guests there certainly didn't think so. Mm -hmm. I mean, to, her, to hear her words, uh, she just painted with a brush. Anybody who, who says uh, free speech... Oh, I'm, is, 
Yeah, I'm coming to her oh, in a yeah, second. Oh, okay. yeah, I'll, I'll, <laughs> okay. I'll hold up then. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, um, but just to answer the question, does free speech apply to all people? I'm going to say yeah. Free speech is a universal principle, meaning Absolutely. that it applies to everybody. And then if it's true that one tweet would not have hurt anyone, as Corrin claims, then wouldn't it also be true that neither would a million tweets? <laughs> I mean, one or a million? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. The left totally twisted that and misrepresented it. They're trying to say that words hurt, and yeah. that to, to, to use words is the same as beating me on the head. Because the meaning behind that original statement was that names will never break my bones. That's the meaning. Right. You may be emotionally offended. You might even be pleased that somebody's insulting you. I've been in that situation. And the <laughs> hurt equating... they're talking about is emotional hurt. And, and, yes. and the emotional hurt they're feeling is because they're wrong and they've been called on it. Right. Now to get to this, this uh, black racist female who appeared on CBC, her name's Brittany Andrew Amofa, and she's of the Broadbent Institute. Can you believe someone from the Broadbent Institute saying things like she said? <laughs> well, you actually, know? yes, because the Broadbent Institute is, is essentially an NDP. I mean, if it's... If it's... But even so, I mean, <laughs> they, know, they were the respectable left, I always thought, to some degree. You know, at oh, least they I don't know. Get... I think they were always race baiters. I, you know... Well, it, it, it's, it's implicit in it's implicit in any kind of effort to put, you know, one group against another. If you can't do the rich versus the poor, you do the skin color versus the skin color, or the male versus the female. They're always trying to find division within society so they can right. justify some kind of redistribution of wealth. Well, you know, she says it's very clear free speech defenders are only interested in defending white nationalism, defending white supremacy, there it is again, and defending those opposed to immigration or to racialize people within their borders. You know, there's a reason for that, why they're only interested in defending those issues, because those are the issues that the left keeps censoring and doesn't want to talk about, right? Well, and, and here's the thing. Why does she say free, free speech advocates are only interested in that? Is she saying that among her group, whatever that group is, let's call it the left, there are no free speech advocates? And if there were... Wouldn't they be speaking up for the very things she says are, are lacking in free speech debates? I mean, she's saying the only things the free speech advocates advocate are racism or, or white, what is it, white supremacy, etc. Well, free speech advocates could say the exact opposite. They could say that uh, racism is wrong and that uh, white supremacy is wrong. If you don't have free speech, you can't say that. Of course. So she, she really asked... doesn't want free speech. She's, she's What she's really saying is that that we that, that free speech itself is wrong, not what it's well, used for, but that free speech itself. You're, you're is wrong. right, Paul. And she, you know, she asked the question: Where are the free speech defenders when it comes to racialized communities against injustice? How come they're not coming to our defense? Well, because nobody's censoring you. And what she feels that she needs defending from is her idiotic ideas. Well, not only that, they, she says, "Where are they when it comes to her issues?" Well, they're busy calling for censorship of the opposing, the people right. opposing their issues. They, well, she makes that very explicit, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, the reason that, that they're not coming, there's no defenders of free speech from her side is because her side doesn't want free speech. They want censorship. I mean, it's, it's clear. She, she does want to be defended against anyone criticizing her. You know, she, she says free right. speech defenders are only interested in white nationalist conversation. Well, what is a white nationalist conversation? How is it different from a black nationalist conversation or from a white globalist conversation? 
You know what I mean? If those are the things that are different. Right. And there's this this whole thing about nationalism. You know, Salim Mansour always talks about nation states, you know, being the mark of civilization and the establishment of jurisdictions and all that, and how the left is totally opposed to the idea of even the nation, you know, it, w- with their globalist idea of one world government kind of thing. Well, again, because right? they, they want to make sure they're in control of the whole game. If you can, yeah. if there's an, anywhere you can get, you know, amnesty... <laughs> From from their plan of, of uh, collectivism, they want to shut that place down and, and make it part of the, the greater system. I mean, there's a reason why that whole globalism and, and communism goes together so well. And it's not just that it coordinates laws between areas on the globe, but rather it, it makes sure that you, there's no chance for freedom anywhere on the globe because freedom always prevails over communism. And they don't want any place where freedom can prevail. That's, That's right, because as soon as it that. does, it, it becomes the Israel in the midst of all that, the poverty around it, you know it, what I mean? Or the U.S. in the midst of... A, you That's know, right. Right? So, it, yeah, it's a, it, they're against capitalism. They know they can't compete with capitalism, so they want to shut it down entirely. And they, the, one of the ways they do that is with censorship. Another way is with getting rid of any government that might set up a differing set of laws than the ones that they want. You know, it, right. in the long run, Bob, you know, you were saying... She was referring to this, you know, where are the defenders? Free speech is only ally. I mean, it has no ally. It's not, Free speech has no ally for any issue at all. Free speech loves the hater as much as the lover. It loves the, the, the fast as much as the slow, the stupid as much as the smart. It, free speech has no ally. The only ally, really, for free speech in the long run is the truth. Because in the end, the contest that results from speci- free speech always, <laughs> you know... Always ends up. Well, being you know, the truth. You, you, you just led the conversation where I was going next because she explicitly tell me this is not an explicit call for censorship. Quote, which we heard in the clip. Yeah, there needs to be some standards set across the board. I would like to see greater transparency from news outlets and publishing agencies in general with regards to what's okay and what's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, holy cow! Now, coming from a lefty, we know that's a call for censorship. Yeah. And you already said it, you know, we already know the answer, what's not okay. Lying and misrepresentation, right? right? What's okay is facts and truths. But she wants protection from any consequences regarding how she exercises her freedom of speech, which right. she thinks she has a right to, so that she can lie and use lying as a weapon. That's why they talk about the weaponization of speech. Or even that so that her, even so that her feelings can trump reality. And that yes. she not be called on it. If she feels like jumping off a cliff, she'll be able to fly like a bird. She doesn't want anyone telling her, no, uh, don't tell me anything about gravity. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, don't be saying I'm wrong to feel the way I am. I'm just thinking differently than you are. <laughs> you, know, it's, it's, you notice how the left is always um, obsessed with so-called fake news. I think it's because the left represents a fake philosophy. A fake ideology based on non-values that can't exist in reality. So naturally, how else? How do you promote that except by misrepresenting everything and lying about things? Well, interestingly, too, news it, is a report about reality. It's not reality itself, right? Right. And so, if if fake news is the is the issue, in other words, the reports are false, not the facts themselves that are being reported, if you know what I mean, not the reality mm-hmm. itself. If you're obsessed with what people say about reality, r- rather than turning your mind to what reality is showing your eyes, ears, nose, and, and fingers, you know, right. um, then you're sort of saying that, you know, I've, I've abandoned reality. 
and I'm going to deal with life as nothing but the spread of conversation and the representations that are made. And since reality has no bearing on any decision I make, you know, I'm going to have to dice up some of that speech and say this speech is on and that speech is off. In other words, we're going to dice up true from false, not according to reality, but according to feelings, wealth, right. desires. Right. Now moving on to the comments between Ezra Levant and David Menzies. First of all, re referring to McLean's magazine as a taxpayer-funded magazine, you know, doesn't it bother you why taxpayers are paying for news commentary media, including the CBC? I mean, how legitimate is a media that's getting taxpayer dollars? Is it legitimate? Well, what do you think? It's, I think it's legitimate if you don't care about reality. <laughs> <laughs> You know, again, so we're we're funding the the making of some of words by some people and not by other people. Instead, well, you of, know, yeah, they, they they criticize McLean's for saying that as far as this whole issue goes, that they didn't want to feed into the torrent of abuse, quote unquote, right? Yeah, and it seems to me torrents of abuse are the hallmark of the mainstream media these days. Isn't isn't that their whole tactic? They just don't want to be on the receiving end of it, right? Oh, certainly. Mostly about I, Trump, Me Too, or anything right, that's you know, like, like freedom of speech. Certainly the case. I on, on Twitter, you know, Ken White, who was uh, at one time an editor of National Post, he was saying something to the effect that he didn't like the fact that people were saying that Loretto should lose her job. And I said, look, you know, you guys have been spending, increasingly in, in recent years, you've been spending most of your ink trying to haul some actor or some millionaire or some comedian up on the carpet, you know, uh, and trying to get them to lose their job or their status, to deplatform them or whatever, because it sells a lot of newspapers when you make those claims. When you say, people are saying this, or the public's demanding that, you know, that that's the game that they're playing. And now they're just caught up in it themselves. You know, Ken White, incidentally, um, the guy I was talking to on Twitter, he was caught up in a, in a thing with Jonathan Kay uh, just last year because they were making fun of the notion of cultural appropriation. And they said oh, they yeah. sh there should be a cultural appropriation award. And I think it was Kay. Could could be wrong on that one. But one of them was saying, hey, I'll, I'll contribute the first $500 to the award. Anyway, it ended up that Jonathan Kay ended up uh, resigning from the Walrus where he worked. And incidentally, Loretto or Loretto is a contributor for the Walrus as well as for McLean's. And yeah, for, yeah. And, you know, so it's a tight knit, tight knit group. And of course, who came to her defense when she starts getting jumped on? Well, Jonathan Kay and Ken White, you know. <laughs> Both of them saying, oh, you know, she's done her time. Uh, her, her timing was bad, but but maybe she, people shouldn't have jumped all over, her, you know. But we can get we can talk more about those guys later. I just, I think it's uh, quite insular. And, and you're talking about this taxpayer-funded word production, you know. Yes. It, it, the whole point, too, I think, and Ezra concluded with it, that as insane as this woman's opinions are, the mainstream media 100% agrees with her, and that's the scary part. The entire conversation's on the left. And it's at this point that I have to even bring in to some criticism commentators like Ezra and other people on the so-called right wing yeah. who do a pretty good job of criticizing left and left-wing people, but not so good defining or making clear why the right is right and what is good about the right and why the right is should be the way we go. They're always d attacking the left, and that's a question I want to get into as we listen to this further commentary where Ezra Levant asks, well, what's right and left got to do with it? Thanks to everyone for the support. I have so much to say about how f the far right manufactures hate online, and all I can say is, wow, no one deserves this. 
even if what day something dose respectful, which by the way, I didn't even. So she's stupid too, right? Um, but, but what she said though, she said the far right manufactures hate online. What's, what's right wing or, or left wing got, got to do with this? It's not right wing or left wing, she smeared the dead. My point is that Canada's mainstream media, the scolding, censoring, fainting couch mainstream media who marginalize and deplatform and ban anyone who merely breathes a word of dissent about any genuine controversy, the same media political industrial complex that tries to get any dissident on issues of, let's say, transgenderism or Islam, to get that person either fired from their jobs or banned from social media or even prosecuted for a hate crime, the same thin-skinned crybabies who want to legally ban Islamophobia, as if that's a thing, they're just fine with this gross, gross woman because she's on the left. And in so concluding, Ezra has answered his own question. What's right-wing and left-wing got to do with this? Well, Paul, I'm going to say it has everything to do with this, and nothing else even plays a remote motivating role in this entire scenario, like in my humble opinion. Well, there's certainly (laughs) lots of evidence for that. You're right. And of course, it's an apolitical tragedy that occurred, but by her bringing her commentary into it, that is totally driven by her left-wing ideology. I mean, because she's on the left, there he says it. And throughout his whole commentary, and, and, and much of it that we haven't even selected for the show, he's constantly taught calling her a left-wing activist, how everything is based on the left and the left does this, and it's, it's clearly always there, but we don't hear a lot about the right, you know? Right. And to me, that's a critical dimension to this issue, one that's constantly being left out of the conversation. Again, it's that one that conservatives and others who think or claim they are on the right never dare to broach. Why is the right any better than the left, of which they are so critical? Why are these issues not defined? Well, and you, and you, you know, if you if you take the approach that the left does to identifying what the right is, okay. okay so let's yes, say define you say, or be defined. Yeah. So let's say you say, okay, the right means conservative, and conservative means religious, and conservative means keeping things the way they were in 1885, you know, uh, white, English-speaking, Christian, etc. And um, I think a lot of conservatives today would agree with that. I don't think they would agree with being racist, uh, but I don't think it's an inappropriate description of of a conservative to say that they they like the way, you know, the good old days, as it were, when things were a little simpler and people didn't talk about race and... and, uh, But you see, here again... It, it's a symptom of the same collectivist thinking, thinking of people as race, racial elements that leads to this whole idea of using even the left and right wing label as a label that attaches itself to people and yep. not to ideas. Right. And unless you can separate that label, to me the labels are separate. A conservative could be left or right, honestly. Oh, I agree 100%. And that's, okay. And, but I think that conservative thing, they don't, they don't see that. They say... Conservative means right wing, right wing, and right wing means conservative, um, and uh, and and conservative means basically good old boys playing banjos, um, you know, wishing that there there weren't uh, so many newcomers. I think that's the way they see it, and and to a certain degree, 
I've seen it, right? I mean, what we've said before, the progressive conservatives here in Ontario, a mainstream party. They were the main, they were the, they were the party in Ontario that led the government for 42 consecutive years, ending in 1985. Right. And that was largely because of, uh, you know, Protestant versus Catholic, British versus everybody else from around the world. Heck, I grew up in an Oshawa, Ontario, where uh, most of the people had come from someplace in Europe or Britain. You know, everybody had a, had a, a name for everybody else's country of origin, you know, and it wasn't a good name. Yeah. You know, like my dad, he was English, so naturally he got the, the limey thing, right? And that's the limeys yeah. of limey because when the, they were on the boats and sailing the seas, England ruled the waves. Well, of course, if you didn't eat your limes, you'd lost your teeth from gum disease. So, yeah. <laughs> Anyway, and I, and I was a kraut, and yeah. I'd eaten enough of it. <laughs> yeah, you know, so so you know that's not that far behind us. That's only you know, the '60s, the '70s, the '50s all had its share of anti-immigration, anti-Catholicism in Ontario. That was specific here. I'm sure it was also in the states. You know, you always hear about the Kennedys and whatnot, and reasons for his uh, murder. Mm-hmm. So there is some merit in saying conservatives. Uh, have a history like that, or or that when they say I like the good old days, whether they whether they mean it or not, they're implying a time at which, uh, the you know North America was far less cosmopolitan, and um, you didn't have to worry about anti-racism because the only <laughs> the only people around looked just like you, right, uh, for the most part, and so you know there's a, a legitimate beef to be brought against conservatism but not against what you on your show identify as what is right as opposed to what is left. In other words, what is individual and freedom as opposed to what is collectivist and, right. and, and tyrannical. And Well, it, it, it's interesting too because whereas a lot of right-wingers don't go out of their way to define the right in terms of ideas and only people, the left does go out of its way to, to uh, define the right by equating it with the left. You know, we even heard Michael Korn earlier say both left and right can be abusive and oppressive and vulgar. And, yep. you know, because by left and right, he means communism, socialism, and fascism, which are on the left and right yep. of the traditional scale that he's operating on. Right. And, of course, we know that both of those are really on the left. And what he's trying to do is morally equate left and right. You know, one side is not as good or as bad as the other. You know, that's almost an, another way of saying there are no sides. Well, it's it's a very... Yeah. You know, World War, well, I guess pre-World War II German way of looking at things, isn't it? So you had the Nazis who hated the communists and the communists who hated the Nazis. And they saw themselves as as the full spectrum right there. (laughs) You know, know? you you may have identified it. You know, I've had a conversation with Michael one time on his show, and he was talking about, you know, how the growth of the welfare state in in Europe was was a great thing. And the growth of the welfare state in England was the same thing because they gave everybody free milk and all that stuff, not realizing the connection between that philosophy and what happened in Europe, right. you know. Yeah. But if, let us be the daring ones and start at least defining a few differentials between what is left and what is right. Well, let's say on the left, let's start that way. We have a philosophy whose actions always require the use of the initiation of coercion or force, whereas the right is identified by a philosophy of consent in contrast to that. Would you agree with that? Well, that's how it's properly identified, yeah. And then we have on the left, tyranny. Whatever form it might take, that's a condition. And on the right, we have freedom. Right. And and, And on the left, we have socialism, 
communism and yes, fascism. On the right, we have capitalism. Right. Which the left so, tries to say is somehow a form of a form of Nazism, even though, yes. as you said many times in the past, Nazism is a socialist movement. It's even in the name of the party, National Socialist German Workers Party. You couldn't get something more more socialist sounding than that. Of course, they've always identified the Nazis as the right wing. Now, as I learned from Salim Mansour, that label was purposely put on them after the war by the Democrats in the states who uh-huh. had supported the Nazis before the war. But of course, the reason that the Nazis were equated with capitalism was because they were fascist. They were the fascist version of socialism, which meant they left most of the property in the private hands of individuals. Right? So there right. was private property ownership in, in Nazi Germany. However, the state controlled that private property as if it were its own public property. Yeah, the, the, the ownership of the, the title or the deeds remained in the hands of individuals, but what you could do with your property and what you had to do with your property was entirely a decision made by the government. And what, that is the same as not even owning your property. You that's know? exactly right. You have all the liabilities. You have to do the upkeep, but, but, but it's the government that tells you what to do. It's like having a factory and they tell you what to build, but you better make sure that you, uh, you know, make sure the roof doesn't leak and make sure all the parts are well oiled and make sure you have staff available. And we don't really care whether you're making a profit or not as long as you produce the goods we tell you to make. <laughs> That's exactly how it goes. Right. And another issue, too, is that um, the right is about individual rights. The left is about group rights. And group rights can be identified in an infinite number of ways, if you think about it. Can't, can't, oh, can't I can they? think of at least three relevant ones today. <laughs> Race, <laughs> sex, and youthfulness, I guess, is the one she said. Youthful, well, youthful those are three, but... They also can pick, you know, farmers' rights, um, tenant rights, landlord rights, economic rights. You can make them up. None of those are rights. There's no such rights. Yeah. That's why the left opens itself to identity politics. I think identity politics should be about the ideas of politics and political parties. That's that's the proper place to put that label. Yeah. You know, we should we should know what the parties are, but you can't do that to people. And of you're course, you're saying the concept of identity belongs to, to that, not belongs to the political arena in terms of ideas, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, like identity politics, left and right. There's the two identities. Yeah, you're saying it, identity politics isn't about politics. It's it's identity uh, biology, for example. Uh, yeah. Well, the left says it's about biology. The right says it's about ideology and ideas. Mm-hmm really identity you know right and and then of course the left is all about censorship forced speech yeah actually forced speech violence as equated to speech you know whereas the right is strictly about freedom of speech you don't see people on the right shutting the people on the left up and hollering and screaming at them like you do at a anti-pagita rally you know yeah yeah well perfect example of that forced speech right here in ontario the law society forces all lawyers to make a statement that says exactly what the law society wants it to state, and then it says it has to be called a personal statement, whether you agree with it or not. Yeah, <laughs> just ridiculous. So it's a pre a measure in pretense, right? You you have to pretend that whatever they tell you uh, to write is right out of your own mind, right out of your own heart, <laughs> as it were. As you know, we've talked about compassing the political spectrum on this show in the past, and. I always found that in identifying what we mean when we are when we say we're on the right, what is what is it that is meant by saying just right? I always found the dictionary definition to be the most adequate definition to answer that question. What's that? And it just says 
what is right is done in accordance with or conformable to moral law or to some standard of rightness, equitable, just, righteous. It is conformable to truth or to fact. The right is conformable to a standard of propriety or to the conditions of the case, proper, fit, suitable. The right holds one direction as a line, straight, direct. The right means properly placed, disposed or adjusted, well-regulated and orderly, and finally sound in mind or body, healthy or well. Because that's when you know you're right. <laughs> you're feeling right, you know what oh, I mean? Oh, but Bob, you know, speaking from the left, we could say that what you're trying to do is make everyone the same carbon, or what do they call them, cookie-cutter human beings, where everyone does the exact same thing and nobody's free to, di- to differ. In other words, <laughs> morality itself is like a, like a shackle. And, and we're supposed to be free from morality. Well, in fact, we are. We are shackled to morality, whether we like it or not. If you if you want to def- if you want to defy reality, you'll pay a price. Absolutely. Yeah. You, know? you, can, you can deny you can deny that gravity exists. You can't deny the effects of gravity existing. <laughs> and, and you know, the funny thing is, there's no equivalent generic definition of left in any standard dictionary that would say done in accordance with you know moral law or you know, conformable to truth or fact. So if you wanted to create a definition of left that coincides with that, basically I think what you'd have to do is just create a definition that's exactly the opposite of everything I just said and the one that that says right. Right. You know, that's the principles. And with those definitions and, and the proper visualization of what is left and right, I think people would have a much clearer idea of, of what politics is all about, which is the direction in which they should be pointing. No, I think you've nailed it, Bob. And, you know, just, I'd just like to point out that when Jonathan Kay, just talking about this right and wrong, it's, it's really important. Sure. Jonathan Kay said that, you know, that this Laura Loretto, uh, Loretto um, really deserves to be let up upon. You know, give her a break. She's you know she's she's been beat up enough and i said look if no remorse is felt and expressed no justice has been done so no forgiveness or mercy is warranted and moreover she appears to be saying she isn't suffering at all via the tweets she's receiving summing up her response it's more like she's giving her critics the middle finger she's not a victim it seems to me she's also not interested in justice why should she be entitled to any i agree and of course the real story is about what is right And What's Just Right is the theme of this show, which will return again next week as we continue on our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right. Well, it's time to say goodnight, Dick. Goodnight, Dick. Goodnight, Dick. Good night, Dick. Good night. Good night. Parting is such sweet sorrow. You devil, you. And next week we have a great lineup for you. I wonder if you'd mind if I said something my great-grandmother once said to me. Oh, I'd like to hear it, Dick, but we are out of time. Next week our guests are a couple... She was locked in a silo uh, for 14 days with a live pig. Well, I'm happy you brought that to our attention. Next week, as I started saying... I thought perhaps what she said when she got out of the silo would be of interest to our television viewers. <laughs> well, I don't know about them, but I'd be kind of interested. <laughs> well, uh, my grandmother came out of the silo. Uh, oh, boy, she came out fast, too. And, uh, <laughs> by golly, what she... 
I better not tell them. <laughs> Say goodnight, Dick. Good night, Dick. Good night, everybody. Hope you had a good time.